Hello, everyone. The day has finally arrived. You've made it to the final summary episode of Team Avatar for Avatar, the podcast. Comic edition. That's right. Our last time of saying comic edition. Well, until Quora Comics, uh-huh. we'll see. But it's a very bittersweet moment for us right now. I feel mm-hmm. it took me so long to write this summary because I knew this was going to happen. I talked about this on my stream with a lot of people. I drag my feet when it comes to finishing something or any major milestone every mm-hmm. time. You have to bring me kicking and screaming. And that's what happened here. This is as far as recording date right now goes, which is October 23rd, 2022. There's no more team avatar stories for us yeah we have Korra. we have some stuff planned we know that with azula but like nothing is printed out yet that really puts it in perspective you saying it that way there are literally literally no more comics for us to cover that are not Korra right now we are we're done we're closing this chapter Mm -hmm. i know we have the books right everyone's been talking about the Kiyoshi novels. Everyone's been talking about the Avatar Yang Chen novels, which we will be covering after Korra is the plan right now. Mm-hmm. We want to get back to the animated series. Yes. Yes. And we know that we have the Netflix stuff coming up as well, which who knows which way it could be. The cast looks great. But in the back of my mind, I keep on thinking that Bryke left for a reason. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Also, I've just been really disappointed with a lot of media recently. So I'm also not getting my hopes up, which is probably terrible. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. Anyways, we have the finale of Imbalance to talk about. But before we do, we do have an announcement that we want to make. We want to be upfront with everyone right now. I've already told if you've gone to twitch.tv slash Bruce Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, <laughs> you already know what I'm about to say because I cannot keep my mouth shut. I cannot keep secrets. If there's anything, anything planned for the podcast, I almost gave up the thing about Joyce Hans Acorn on stream. <laughs> I stopped myself. Uh-huh. I stopped myself, but I almost did. We are planning on taking a break after the comics. Everyone knows we take breaks after milestones. What you may not know is we're taking an extended break. Mm -hmm. Acorn and I are so tired right now. We are exhausted. And we thought after the comics would be a novel, pun (laughs) pun kind of intended, time to just breathe for a moment. Mm -hmm. Just take some time for ourselves, our friends, our loved ones. Yes, recharge, come back excited for Korra instead of still kind of like riding that same energy level. That like edge of burnout. If you've ever been there, you know what we're talking about. Yes. So we are going to be taking a break after the next episode. We're going to do our comics recap, but we are going to be taking an extended break and we should be returning on April 14th of 2023. Tell us the fun reason why we chose that date, Greg. We'll take the wind out of my sails. Why don't you, Acorn? (laughs) (laughs) That was No, it was. I was going to set you up, but then you set me up. And okay, (laughs) the reason why it is April 14th is because that is the 11th anniversary of The Legend of Korra. And we thought that that would just be the perfect time to start The Legend of Korra. Mm -hmm. I believe we started after our last Airbender when it came out around on Netflix, I think it was. And we kind of missed that initial like, oh, we should do it on the anniversary. That'd be really cool. The timing's right here. It's going well. 
that's not to say that there won't be content coming up. We are thinking about some stuff. We're brainstorming some things. But I wanted to be upfront with everyone. Our patrons already know this. So don't unsubscribe. Leave it on there. We'll be back before you know it. Again, you can always join me on Twitch. You all know that if you're missing the voice of your favorite cast member, let's be honest. <laughs> you do have a great voice. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. And you do too. <laughs> I much prefer Acorn's voice to my voice, but that's neither here nor there. You can come hang out with me. And if enough of you yell at me, maybe I'll drag Acorn on the stream one day. Oh, that would be fun. We should do that. It would be a great time. Anyways, that's the sad news, the bittersweet news. Yep. But it's better, I think, we both think, to approach Korra not burnt out. Yes. Yes. Especially with our history with it. We mm-hmm. both had kind of a, a rough go of jumping straight from the Avatar animated series into Korra. We've done the prep work. We've enjoyed the comics. So we're going to take a, a quick rest. And also, we've been doing this for what? A year plus? Two years now? Two years? We started right during the pandemic, right? They thought yeah. the height of it oh was Oh my like God, May. it has been two years. It's been two years. It's so been we've been two doing years. this straight for two years with some breaks here and there. So yeah, it all works out. We need a break and the anniversary is coming up for Cora, and that happens to be our next segment. So it was meant to be. So yeah. we hope you all stick around. We hope you don't unsubscribe. We're going to be probably posting updates on Twitter. So follow us over there at Podcast Avatar for any new news that we've released. And uh, we're really excited to jump into Korra with you next year. Yes. Yeah, I can't wait. I've been looking at it on my queue. I'm like, maybe I just start now. And I go, no, no, no. You have to wait. You're doing the same thing. You have to wait. (laughs) And then people have been talking about it in my chat and been like, no, no, no. No one say anything. We'll wait. We'll get there. Excited. Now that we've gotten that business out of the way, let's jump into some of the five-star reviews. This is an aggregate of... Not just the American side, but also we missed a couple of the other countries because we read those reviews and then new ones came trickling in. So this is just like an aggregate of all different countries, all different walks of life in terms of reviews. And again, we super appreciate it. If you want your review read live on the show before the big break, what do they have to do, Acorn? You got to go over to Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. and leave your five-star written review. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not written... As someone's going to say today, we can't read it. That's right. And I will say, if you don't have an iPhone or an iPad, you don't need one to leave a review. You can just log into the website, create an Apple ID, and leave a review right there. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people know that because we get a lot of emails saying like, oh, I don't have this. But you can. And it can be for free. Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Anyways, our first review, so succinct, so to the point, and also yet keeping me a little grounded. <laughs> Keep my head out of the clouds. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're right. Best Avatar The Last Airbender podcast, where immediately my ego goes, uh-huh. and uh-huh. then they write, yeah, you guys are pretty cool. Thumbs up emoji. Oh, well, all right. I guess I'll... Lower your expectations a Feet <laughs> firmly planted on the ground. Thank you yeah. for that emotional roller coaster of a five-star review. We super appreciate it. <laughs> Our next review comes to us from Avatar Lover One, who wrote, it's written, Greg, so you can read it. Oh, thank you. There we go. I love it. That is followed by probably one billion heart emojis. Mm-hmm. Just a rough estimate there. I think that's accurate. Okay, great. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> And they write, Hi, I'm a first-time reviewer, long-time listener. And my theory is that Avatar is just Pokemon, hundreds of years in the past. The spirits stripped humanity of their bending and gave it to the animals. 
thus creating Pokemon. My top five are one, Katara, two, Ty Lee, three, Azula, four, Sokka, five, Suki. My top five hybrid animals are Momo, the turtle ducks, Bosco. Hey, Bosco's not a hybrid animal. He's a hybrid of my heart. I don't know. I was trying to help, <laughs> help them out there. The penguin seals and Naga from Korra. I love how deep you dive into this podcast. And until next time or next episode, bye. Please read it during the first episode of Korra or the Kyoshi books or Imbalance. I'm not really picky. My favorite quote is that's rough, buddy, because of course. Of course. I made that, as you know, Acorn, one of my channel point redemptions on Twitch. So if I do something that's rough, you can just literally use channel points and Zuko pop up and say, that's rough, buddy. That's rough, buddy. I'm working on a new Sokka one. I'm very excited about it. <gasps> Exciting. Exciting. Okay. The next reviewer. Oh, thank you. Avatar Lover 1 for that wonderful five-star yes, review. I'm sorry. I'm just so you. excited to get into GX David 11's review. Uh-huh. And they write, this is the best podcast ever. Thumbs up emoji. Flex, flex. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. After rewatching Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix for, say, maybe the fifth time, I needed newer content, and this was the perfect option. It was entertainment that I could listen to while doing other things like homework or chores. I love the way you guys bend the elements, wink, wink, <laughs> of the show in a way to help us listeners easily visualize what you describe. Thank you, Acorn and Greg, for this fire podcast, and can't wait for Legend of Korra to come out. And then... There's just a smorgasbord of cat smiley emojis. Yep. Smiley, cry smile, heart eyes, shock. So many. That is a great smorgasbord. Mm -hmm. That is exactly what that is. Mm -hmm. Don't ask me to spell that word because I never will. <laughs> Nor can I. But it's wonderful. David, thank you so much for leaving that five-star review. We super appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Our next review comes from Harry Weisdorf, who writes, You truly capture what the Avatar fandom wants. Oh, I know, right? That's really nice. Greg's ego is way up in the clouds again. Wow. What a guitarific podcast. I just got myself a new MacBook and within 10 minutes, I finally got myself an Apple podcast account so I can give you guys the five-star rating you deserve. For months, I caught up on the first two seasons of your podcast before joining you week by week as you went to the finale. And man, did you stick the landing. I can't wait until you make it to the search so we finally get closure on Zuko's mom but I also can't wait for all the more to come from this duo. Blame me Well. So sweet. Harry, how did you like the search? Yeah, yeah. We were just talking before this podcast how the search has still stood out to us as one of the best comics that we have read so far. Yes, absolutely. Our next review comes from XYZ Cool Dud. And they write, best period podcast period ever period. Wow, everyone's going crazy with the love today. Jeez. I love it. This is a toftastic podcast for all those Avatar The Last Airbender lovers. My favorite episode is the Ember Island players, and I can't wait for The Legend of Korra. My two favorite characters are Uncle Iroh and Sokka. I, hold on, one, two, three, 100,000 percent recommend this podcast. Okay, bye. <laughs> I always do the same thing. Wait, one, Count two, the zeros. three, one, two, three. <laughs> that was so nice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. XYZ Cool Dud. Great favorite characters too. Yeah. I thought for sure they were going to write Uncle Iroh and I don't remember what Zuko. it is. No, I thought they're going to say Iroh, but like 
I know that Suko has a kid or something in Korath is also named Iroh. So I thought oh, maybe yes. they're going to be cheeky and say Iroh and Iroh, but no, they didn't. We haven't gotten that yet. No. I wonder if there's anyone out there who truly loves the two Iros as their favorite characters. I'm going to try to love the other Iroh as much as I can. I don't remember anything about him. I just know that he exists. They're just like random researching and such. And I like that. Is it his son? I don't is remember. Is his no name one... Iroh? I don't even remember. I know who you're talking about. I'm pretty sure it is. I feel like it. Is. And don't spoil us, though. I could be wrong. I could yeah. be right. We won't know until we get to it. But I thought they were going to be cheeky and say that. Anyways, <laughs> let's move on to the next one, I guess. Our next review comes from Zuko Alone, who writes, The best podcast ever. There aren't enough stars for me to rate you. I have tried a number of other podcasts, but yours comes out on top. You give lots of in-detail descriptions about Avatar The Last Airbender that made me love the show even more. I listen to you every night when I go to sleep, and I always hate waiting for new episodes to come out. I started listening when you were on The Puppet Master and binged your guys' podcast. Greg's puns are always top tier, and I bought the Kyoshi novels in preparation for you two to cover them. I started listening to you on a different app, but hopped over to Apple Podcasts to write this review. Thank you, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg, for this podcast. And remember... Life happens wherever you are, whether you make it or not. I swear I didn't go through all of the reviews and just pick out the subject that said best <laughs> podcast ever. I, I promise you I did not do that. that. How ironic that we're doing a, a review roundup and everyone just has the same opinion. I know. <laughs> this, is, this is so lovely. Thank you all so much. Thank you. It, it really does mean a lot to us. And this is going to be, this next one is the last one for today. There are a couple came in over the past couple of days. We'll cover them next week on the comics roundup edition, the comics review, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Here we go. This one comes from Tor Visla, and they write, best podcast ever. Again, I promise I didn't just pick these out because it says that <laughs> with three exclamation marks. This is by far the best Avatar podcast I have ever listened to before. I would highly recommend it to any Avatar fan. Acorn and Greg, the hosts, go in-depth into every episode of Avatar and are now covering the comics. I cannot express how much I love this podcast. It is truly amazing and top tier. Oh my gosh. I feel like I've gotten knocked on my butt. I'm so humbled and appreciative I know. of this. Yeah. Jeez. Just as a reminder, it's incredible to hear how much this podcast has changed your lives or enhances your lives or does whatever it does. Because really, at the end of the day, Greg and I are just two people sitting in our office chairs recording mm -hmm. our thoughts on Avatar. So it's so validating to hear just people listen to this and people appreciate it. And that's so nice to hear. So thank you for sharing your thoughts. Thank you for sharing the, the five-star reviews. For anyone who hasn't written a five-star review and you still appreciate the podcast, thank you so much. Thank you just for being there listening to us. We really appreciate it. Yes. I want to double that sentiment for sure. Although I will make a slight amendment that Acorn sits in our office chair and I wiggle around like a <laughs> maniac. I just can't sit still ever. I'm consistently readjusting my way. If anyone else does that, let me know because I feel like I'm alone. I'm always just moving around. But I'll also like just hitting the play button, listening to the episodes, no matter when you do it, where you do it. It just means so much to Acorn and I. When We've said this before, and we'll continue to say it. When we started the podcast, we literally thought it was just going to be our friends listening to it, and that mm -hmm. was it. And then all of a sudden, I feel like over a very short amount of time, all of these emails started coming in, and reviews started coming in, and we actually checked some of the numbers on Spotify. We're like, a lot of people are listening to us from all around the <laughs> world. 
And it's a pretty balanced group, it seems, in terms of like diversity and all. It's like wild. It is wild. It is absolutely wild. Whenever we stop and check, it's like just a reminder, like, wow, there are A, a lot of Avatar fans in the world. And B, a lot of people have found our podcast. That is really cool. Yes. And in places where English is not necessarily the primarily spoken language. Mm-hmm. We've seen some reviews come in or many reviews come in for and emails. So thank you all so much for that. Super appreciate it. And then the people who are real glutton for punishment, they show up on my oh, <laughs> when I'm streaming on Twitch. And it's just like, hey, I heard you don't like it when people are first time chatters and it makes you nervous. That's like usually the opening line now. Oh, amazing. And I'm like, thank oh, you yeah. all for doing that. Yes. Keep doing that. Yes. Make me squirm for a bit when I'm mid boss fight trying to figure out what to do next. <laughs> In between sound effects. We super appreciate it. I'm just stalling as I'm doing because I don't want this to end. But I also I want it to end at the same time, but I don't want it to end. I know. It's a weird feeling right now. This feeling always hits me whenever we get to another milestone. Like you were saying, like we finish a book, Mm -hmm. book one, book two, book three. We finish an arc. Oh, just, yeah. I keep remembering that we don't have no comics left after this. This is it. Yeah, this and then we it. do the recap and then it's Cora time <sighs> next year. And we, we will see, I know we will see some of our old friends in adult form in Cora, but still, it's not the yeah. same. It's not the same. It's not even voiced by the same people. Oh, that's sad. I didn't know that. Oh, sorry. Spoilers. Great. Ruined. Jack DeSena does not come back as Sokka. Oh. <laughs> Much to my chagrin. Anyways, let's talk about Imbalance Part 3, or as we like to call it. Until next time, Team Avatar. Yeah. Again, the story is by Faith Aaron Hicks, with art by Peter Wartman and colors by Adele Matera. We pick up immediately after the events of the previous book, and the group is shocked at Toph's suggestion. As a friendly reminder, Toph is just like, just take away her powers. Just take away her bending. It's fine. Toph doesn't understand why they would question this path, reminding the group that Leeling has blown up several factories and wants to drive out all of the city's non-benders. If she loses her bending, then she cannot lead a bender supremacist movement. Katara is against the idea, as it is a big decision that cannot be made lightly, and Leeling is not threatening to destroy the world like Ozai did. While they argue, Suki asks Aang if he is okay with taking away her bending, since he's only done it once. That's something that's really nice about Sokka. He's like, are you sure like you're fine with this? You've only done this once. Everyone's like, he can do it. He can't do it. He can't do it. He can do it. And Sokka's like, you all right, pal? You all right, bro? Yeah. Actually checking in with Aang about it. Yeah. And also trying to make sure that like he can do it again. Or it wasn't just a one-time right thing. Yeah. Just because yeah. you've done something once doesn't mean you're an automatic expert at it. And I think that's kind of like something that gets glossed over in fiction quite a bit. That's a great point. Yep. Like Aang could have just lucked his way through that whole situation. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like the lion turtle told him about it, tell him how to do it once. And like he kind of did it, but like beginner's luck. I don't know. Anyways, that's just a thought that popped in. And it was during a comet and it was on top of like a rock pillar in the middle of a rock yeah. field. Like certain conditions were involved in that. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of variables going on in that first situation. Anyways, Sokka chimes in that while Li Ling and Ozai are both very bad people, Li Ling is still a citizen and Aang might be risking his relationship with the bending community if he decides to take her bending away. Yeah, so this is... This is a rough conversation, but I also really like how they're illustrating that slippery slope concept Mm. where you've done it once so you can do it again. 
Yeah. And then you start rationalizing and arguing the pros and cons, trying to do this again. Yeah, it's unfortunate that even Aang's friends are looking at it this way. Like, well, you took the bending away from that other bad person. Why don't you just do it again? That's what you do. It's part of your avatar thing. Yeah. When it's a lot more serious than that, as we later find out through the conversations that our characters have with each other about this topic. Mm Mm-hmm. And no one's considering that Leeling, not no one, but at least Team Avatar is not considering that Leeling is a civilian. Sure, she's starting this movement, but she's not the evil fire lord bent on world domination for the sake of it. The self-proclaimed Phoenix King who wants to dominate the entire bending and non-bending world. (laughs) A little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. So Aang kind of keeps quiet and Toph asks for his opinion. Aang decides that he still needs time to think about it and walks over to Li Ling's cage, explaining to her that he cares about benders and non-benders. He then asks her what he can do to resolve this conflict peacefully, but warns that he will defend the non-benders no matter what. Li Ling mocks the Avatar for thinking that he can change the world through talking. After all, he couldn't even take the life of Ozai when he wanted to burn the Earth Kingdom to the ground. I like this callback that she makes... She makes this comment about how it's so sweet that he is an avatar who thinks he can solve everything by talking. Mm -hmm. And this was a a big reminder of that scene we got on The Lion Turtle where Aang is talking to his past lives and they're giving him different advice about acting decisively and just doing what's right for the good of the world, even if it means taking a life and that sort of thing. And Aang consistently has been clinging to his airbending values of peacefulness and being a pacifist. And so I like that Leeling picked up on that and called back to it and was like, oh, you sweet avatar who think you can solve everything through talking. How mm-hmm. quaint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's very, I don't know what the right, right word is. Like she talks down to him so much. She thinks she's above him. What's that? What's the word I'm looking for, Acorn? Egotistical is the word that comes to mind, but I don't think it's the one that we're looking no, for. No, not that, but that's close enough. She's quite egotistical with Aang. She's like, she feels like she has the upper hand. She has this like false sense of security with this notion of like, well, I'm in the right and you're in the wrong. And she's very sure of herself because of it. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm just going to go to one of my favorite websites in the whole world, wordhippo.com to find similar words to egotistical, which include egocentric, pompous, Pompous. selfish, smug, conceited, Pompous. pompous is the one. Yes. That's the one I wanted. She's quite pompous with this. <laughs> and I don't, she's not even like cool pompous, kind of like Long Fang was or yeah, Zhao. Yeah. She just doesn't stick the landing for me as a villain. You know what she's given us? What's that? Anime villain. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's the vibe that she's giving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Aang explains that he did manage to save the Earth Kingdom while also sparing Ozai's life, which only angers Luling, who believes that he should have killed Ozai. A life without bending is not worth living, according to her. Aang states again that he will not allow her or her followers to harm any more non-benders, and Luling wonders how far Aang is willing to go to protect the non-benders, as she says in a very evil and menacing type voice. <laughs> oh! The next morning, (laughs) the next morning, (laughs) Yaling finally recovers from being chi blocked and wants to go rescue her mother. Rue tells her that she is being kept at Earthen Fire Industries, which is guarded by Team Avatar and Lao's security guards. 
Rue suggests that they sneak in during the night, but Yao Ling refuses to sneak anywhere and wants to lure Team Avatar away from the factory and then break in to rescue their mother. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I love Yao Ling's look. Her vibe is just yeah. immaculate and I can't get over it. Even though I don't really like her as a character, I just love the way that she looks. She is very well designed. She's very strong looking. She's giving me, I think it's the way Toph looked in Korra kind of vibes, or at least that like security, yes. the police force. Like she looks dressed very similarly to that. Yes, I think that's it. She's kind of like, okay, this is what it is. She's kind of like a cross between Toph and Korra. Oh, yes. And I like that. Yeah, she got a good vibe. So they have their plan. Back at the factory, Katara sits outside alone. Aang approaches her saying that since she was always asking if he was okay, it was about time that he returned the favor. Hey, Aang's learning that a relationship is a two-way street right here. Yeah, good for you, buddy. (laughs) Good for you. Katara explains that she doesn't agree with Toph's suggestion, but Aang thinks that she has a point. Leeling cannot lead a bender supremacist movement if she is not a bender. When Katara asks if he is really thinking about taking her bending away, Aang admits that he is still very unsure. Katara then takes a moment to admit that waterbending is a huge part of her culture and identity, and that losing her bending would be like losing a part of herself. She believes that taking away someone's bending would be like destroying a part of them, which feels very violent to her. She asks Aang if Li Ling really deserves to lose a piece of her identity, and before he can answer, Satoru runs up and tells the two that the business council's building is on fire, with Lao and the rest of the council caught inside. So we're just going to pause in that very dramatic moment (laughs) to talk about this conversation. So this is interesting because they're having a conversation. I think it's pretty realistic, actually, for two individuals to talk about the personal impact of this decision. Aang, who's like, I'm just trying to do good as an avatar and make a good decision. So I don't know. This sounds like a simple solution to a big problem. Katara is like, well, I as a bender don't agree because I'm thinking, well, what would happen if someone took my bending away? That would be a huge part of my identity gone. Me, the reader, am sitting over here and like, also, folks, let's not forget the fact that if you do this to her, she's going to become a martyr and her movement is going to strengthen like a hundredfold. Mm-hmm. So it's nice that the characters in ways that they usually do are having this conversation, this personal conversation with their viewpoints. Because it feels realistic. It feels in character, if that makes sense. It does, yes. This whole argument feels a little hypocritical to me. And it feels weird saying it when Katara is behind it versus when it's Li Ling. Because it's like, well, you know, benders and non-benders are equal is something I like to believe. They're people. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be valued more or less. But society consistently values benders more than non-benders. So you can see how Li Ling gets to this point of view. Mm-hmm. And when you threaten to take away her bending, she would rather die, Leeling. Yeah. And that's just like, really? Really? Yeah, that's kind of a lot. Yeah. For me, it feels like a lot. I can't relate to something like that. At least I, I've been trying to. I've been like literally the past couple of weeks been like, how can I put myself in her shoes to feel she's a little more well-rounded maybe as a character to see where she's coming from, to see what we're building up to in Korra. And I just can't yet, but I'm going to actively work on it. I promise everyone. It just mm. feels weird that this book is like, 
people are equal. But then like the writing suggests that benders are still higher than or better than non-benders. Yeah, I think it's really stepping into the shoes of someone who, similar to what Katara was saying, Mm -hmm. forms their identity over an ability that they have. The only similarity, the only other example I can think of is someone who maybe is a professional athlete and then they have a career ending injury and all of a sudden they have to face a life without their sport, without their athleticism and find other ways to move on and to find value in what they can do. That's what it reminds me of. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's definitely what Li Ling's perspective is. Meanwhile, We've seen bending used for things like architecture and building and production. But I'm over here thinking like, you can't bend fabric or like weaving or I don't know, pottery probably because it has clay and that's an earth element. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like there's so many things that you can do as a non-bender that is just as valuable as what benders can give. That's also my point is, Mm -hmm. I mean, we shouldn't be having that conversation of just as valuable. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Mm. It's the same thing. It kind of rubbed me the wrong way with Sokka's arc as like a character where he got training as a swordsman and now he's just as useful to the team. But like in a perfect world, that shouldn't be the sentence that you use. You can be just as productive as the bending members of society, you know? Right. Yeah, no, that's true. That's the issue here with this conversation because you're you're innately placing value in what people can do, what they can achieve. Mm-hmm. When even if you can't achieve anything, if you can carry on a great conversation, have a great positive personality, then you're just as valuable, quote unquote, as anyone else. Yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I don't know. That, that might just be me, but... That's something that was rumbling in me for a little bit, but I think the animated series did a great job at kind of like finessing through those weeds and just being like, Mm -hmm. all right, Sokka can't bend. He doesn't have these great powers, but he does have a place on the team. And now that we're figuring out that the quote unquote team is the world and the world isn't as well balanced as team avatar in terms of personalities and characteristics and stuff like that. And they don't all love each other. Now we're getting into this like, well, the benders have been valuing themselves higher than non-benders, whether they realize it or not, for quite some time. Yeah. You know what I'm realizing in this very moment? This is definitely going in like an ableism kind of direction. Mm -hmm. Like if you took it into our world, people who are able-bodied versus people who are not able-bodied. Oh, okay. And then it turns into like, well, we can achieve and do all these things, so we're better, which is not correct. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that I've kind of had experience with, with ADHD, mm-hmm. where it's been like, you can do just as well as the other kids in school. Well, like, what is if that you just supposed try, to mean? If you yeah. just apply yourself. Just if apply, you just, oh my God. <laughs> I know. For everyone listening, both Greg and I have ADHD. Yes. So that's been a struggle <laughs> for us. If you just applied yourself and sat down and concentrated real hard. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm yeah. in elementary school all over again. <laughs> Yes, that's been something that's been kind of rubbing me the wrong way a little bit. No, I'm glad that you brought that up because I didn't make the connection between this conversation in the comic about benders and non-benders and something that is closer to our world, which could be able-bodied people versus non-able-bodied people. Mm. And I hope that's the right way of phrasing it. I apologize if I didn't use the right terms there, but I know that's something that along with all of these other social topics, a lot of this kind of stuff is being talked about today. And 
I hope that by talking about things more often, people will become more aware and understand other people's perspectives. Unlike what Li Ling is portraying here, because she is so self-centered and self-focused that she can't even see her daughter, mm-hmm. who is a non-bender, for the person that she is. Mm. And we'll get to that, too. Because, whoa, mm-hmm. that does not end super well. But in the meantime, we're still with Aang and Katara. And we are about to rush into the business council's building. So Aang and Katara use water bending to douse the fire while Toph breaks down the door of the building. She guides her dad and the others out. But outside, Aang questions why benders would set fire to the building and then just run away. Katara is worried because she thinks and knows that something else must be going on somewhere else. At the factory, Yaling and a group of her mom's followers show up ready for a fight. Yaling is confident that her group will win, seeing as though the guards protecting the factory are non-benders. The head guard asks Sokka and Suki to go get Aang, but Suki refuses to leave the guards to fight all by themselves. Yaling commands her minions to take down Suki first because she is a cheap blocker and a fight ensues. Suki does attempt to chi block one of the benders, but Yaling encases her in a pillar of rocks. When Sokka rushes to her aid, he finds himself surrounded by an earthen wall. Yaling manages to take out a few more people with her earthbending and steals the keys to her mother's cage. She hurries inside, frees her mother, and gives her a hug. Li Ling tells her that she knew she would free her, and the two of them have a lot of work. I really enjoyed this sequence. I thought the the panels were so well drawn. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't read it, there's a lot of sequences in the panels that show a very clear fight taking place. Like, for instance, one panel is Suki holding her arm up with a shield to block a rock that's being thrown at her. The next skinny panel is her noticing someone close by. And the third panel is her arching her arm back so the shield is behind her as she reaches out with her other arm to chi block someone in front of her. Like, it's so fluid. Yes. And she's so, like, precise and fierce. And I love Suki. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah, but just all the fights are like that. Another section is with Yaling. She, in one panel, she raises her foot up in this Mm -hmm. really, like, dynamic pose. And then the next shows a top-down look of her stomping really hard and, like, a wave of earth being pushed out from her. It's really well done. So I think that even though the style is very different from what we've been used to with Gurihiru in the last couple comics, Mm -hmm. I really enjoy the way that they framed things and they drew these fight scenes and also the characters. I will say this. I've gotten so used to this art style. It took me the first book of imbalance just to like get over it. Yeah, me too. And now that I'm in this different kind of mindset, I feel like I enjoy the layout of imbalance a bit more than all the other books because they take the time to show you the movements that were in the show, or at least feel like they were in the show, like the accurate bending movements instead of just like being in midair and having fires behind you or something, you know? I see what you're saying. Yeah, it is a lot more grounded in the movements. And that's a big part of Avatar The Last Airbender. They Mm -hmm. spent so much time, money, and research and development just to get bending to look believable and have it grounded in actual martial arts styles. Mm -hmm. It feels like that's a big part of what we've been missing in the books so far. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if they had Sifu Kisu on. Oh, I doubt it. That'd be nice to think about, (laughs) but I highly doubt it. (laughs) 
Later that night, Aang, Katara, Toph, and Satoru return to the factory. When they see the aftermath of the battle that ensued, Aang comments that he now knows what the business council attack was all about. The head guard explains that they were overwhelmed by a mob and that Leeling has escaped. Katara sits with the guard, telling her that Aang asked the council members to stay at the factory where they could be protected. But now that Leeling is free, all the non-benders of the city are now in danger. Katara notes that Li Ling always seems to be one step ahead of them, and it feels like they should be doing more. While healing the guard's arm, the guard asks Katara if Suki would teach her and the other officers how to cheap lock. Mm-hmm. Set up. Set up. After discussing it with Suki, Katara proposes the training to Aang and Sokka, and questions how long it would take to teach cheap locking to newbies, since Li Ling is likely to attack again really soon. But Suki is confident that the guards are already well-trained and she can at least teach them the basics relatively quickly. Back at Li Ling's manor, Rue is reunited with her mother and sister. Rue explains that she packed as much of their clothing as she could and goes over an escape plan. Li Ling refuses to leave, however, unwilling to give up the city to the Avatar, the traitor who conspires with non-benders against his own kind. Rue wants to start over in another city, but her mother shushes her and explains that she doesn't want to lose everything like they did when they had to flee Ba Sing Se during the Fire Nation invasion. Li Ling reminds Rue how traumatic that experience was and asks her daughter why Ba Sing Se fell so easily. Rue nervously recites a practice answer. It was because Kue is a non-bender. We learn here that Li Ling truly believes that if Kue was a bender, he would have been able to control his agents and protect the city, and she refuses to let more non-benders ruin their lives the way King Kue did. Mm. So here we got some backstory. We got some reasons for Li Ling being the way that she is. It is cool to hear that they came from Ba Sing Se. I, that actually makes so much sense because we even commented that their house looks like one of the homes in the Upper Ring. That's right. So there you go. Mm -hmm. And it was just really interesting to hear that this was the reason, knowing that, and this is probably not common knowledge, but knowing that Long Feng is a bender and Mm -hmm. he still lost control of the Dali. Yeah, but she doesn't know that. She doesn't know that. Yeah. But it's just one of those things where it's like, it's not so black and white. I love how she thinks... Kue is just this like, she sees Kue for kind of what he is, which I really uh-huh. kind of like, where he's just like a bumbling, <laughs> he is a bumbling idiot. And that has yeah. nothing to do with the fact that he's a non-bender. Right. <laughs> he's just right. an idiot. But she incorrectly assigns the weakness of Kue mm-hmm. because he's a non-bender. And it's just like, you're, you're off base on that. Yeah. Yeah. Things are more complicated than that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I, I do, as you said, I do enjoy seeing a lot of the resulting aftermath of being a refugee from Ba Sing Se, let's say. So like they probably weren't that well off in Ba Sing Se. So when she came to Cranefish Town, she probably was like, oh, I really wish I had this house. And she kind of like built her family and her ranks up so she could have that house. Which I could totally see that. Kind of grounds her in my mind a little bit, but like she's still a terrible villain. But at least you know, we're getting some humanity out of this. Yep. Some character development, character context. Yeah. Yeah. And it's nice that they kind of like gave us something in the animated series to be a point of reference because I've been feeling kind of afloat besides Sokka's little like bag of wonders. 
I've been feeling uh-huh. kind of afloat in terms of like, yeah, this is Avatar, but like, where's everything that happened in the world? How is this affecting this book? And we're kind of seeing that a little bit more. Instead of just being built up for Korra, we're getting right. like yeah. a little bit, a little back, a little forward. Rue, surprisingly enough, states that it was not Kuei's fault that they had to leave Ba Sing Se and that it was the fault of the Fire Nations. Leeling believes that the Fire Lord was only doing what any strong bender leader would do. He's exploiting weakness. Rue is furious and confronts her mother's point of view, asking if she sees Rue as being weak because she is a non-bender. Leeling softens her stance a bit and assures her daughter that she is loved as much as her bending sister, Yaling. But that is not the way the world works. And non-benders need to recognize that they are not as powerful as benders. Leeling then reveals that tomorrow, she plans to take a group of benders to the factory and drive Aang out once and for all. Oof, boy. Mm-hmm. This is a great example of what happens when people are defined by and cling to their own convictions. Mm-hmm. Like it completely narrows their viewpoint. It pushes out room for empathy. It creates a single-minded mentality, really. Yes. And that's what we're seeing. Like even her daughter is like, uh, mom, do you remember the Fire Nation was involved in this? The Fire Nation who was behind the Hundred Year War? No, it was non-benders fault. Yep. Everything is the non-benders. She actually has a very similar point of view to Ozai when she said, oh, he's just doing what powerful benders do. That's just oh, nature. That's a good point. Because he had that whole conversation with Zuko about being the Fire Lord. And if you're the Fire Lord, that means every decision you make is right. Mm-hmm. Because you're the Fire Lord. And Leeling just echoes that essentially right there. Yeah. Oh, boy. I will say that when a person actively knows that about themselves, it's tough to get out of. She doesn't know this about herself. Leeling doesn't realize she's doubling down in front of her daughter and like just keeps on doing it and gets herself deeper, deeper in that hole. I hope she realizes that we're never going to see her again. I don't think, but like, I hope she repairs this relationship with her daughter. Mm, yep. <laughs> but I doubt it. But like, be nice to see like, Oh, I was wrong. You were right. Yep. Blah, blah, blah. That was just a thought that I had because like, I hate this, this whole like Rue finally realizes that her mother doesn't value her as much as her sister. I don't even think Leeling consciously recognizes that she's doing it. No, she doesn't. Yeah. She sees her daughter as blood and Mm -hmm. that's the value. Not in a person, but in the fact that they are blood related, that she is her daughter. Yeah. Yeah. It does kind of like contradict her point of view because she's, Rue is asking her, hey, she's not asking her, do you love me more than my sister or do you love us the same or do you love her more than me? She's asking, do you think I'm weak? because of that. Mm-hmm. And her mother's immediate response is, oh, I love you. Oh, that's but, so, oh yeah. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. I but was yes, kinda, I think you're weak. Yes, but yes, you are. Oh. Anyways, okay. Let's get out of that moment. I want to get out of that moment as quickly as possible. <laughs> Let's go back to the factory where Aang and Sokka watch as Suki trains the security guards as they practice the basics for cheap blocking. Sokka tells Aang that he cannot believe that he used to think that Li Ling was a good person. Aang admits that he was also fooled by her because she seemed so respectable. He also thinks that if he had just taken her bending, as Toph had suggested, this conflict would be over by now. Sokka points out that the bender supremacist movement is more than one person and asks if Aang is willing to take away the bending of Liling's followers as well. Of course not, Aang admits, frustrated with the whole situation. Aang tells Sokka that the world would be a much better place without technology. 
this is interesting. This leap of logic. I was like, whoa, they've been building up to this since the rift. Yep, they have. But it's just, I love this part. Aang blames technology for the 100-year war and everything that has gone wrong in his life since he got frozen. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It's funny because when he said that, I was like, yeah, technology really hasn't been that great. Yeah. Because I could see where he's coming from. Like, he's coming from a pacifist group of air nomads Mm -hmm. who prioritize and value logic and meditation and mindfulness and peacefulness. And so when you look at the world through that lens, yeah, technology has fueled a lot of hate and a lot of warmongering. But as Sokka puts it in just a second, you're forgetting the people behind the machinery. Yeah. And the reason why the machinery was invented in the first place, it wasn't to like, wasn't malintent. It was to help for the most part. For the most part. Yeah. Because Aang's talking about the tanks and all this stuff. And Sokka is wondering kind of the opposite. Aang believes that it was actually better when people tried to live in harmony with nature as well and blames the machines for causing nothing but problems. That's what we're kind of talking about. Sokka reminds him that the pre-machine days weren't as good for non-benders and that machines have made things a bit more equal between benders and non-benders. He says that although pollution is a problem that needs to be dealt with, he cannot blame the machines for the bender supremacist movement. Aang apologizes and turns in for the night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sokka's like, no, the machines are tools that have made life better for a lot of people. The machines haven't all been war balloons and tanks. We're also talking about like industry and progress that non-benders can be a part of. Yep, yep. I very much liked this scene with Aang and Sokka. I feel like we don't get a lot of serious Aang and Sokka scenes. Yeah, I had that (laughs) feeling too. It was refreshing. And I liked how they started the conversation really serious. And then there was a certain part where Aang was like, okay, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. And then Sokka like punches his shoulder, like leans into him and is like, yeah, I know it's fun to be right. (laughs) And so it it just kind of like lightens the mood and they're back to just being like friendly. I don't know. It, It was nice. It was wholesome. Yes. I feel like Sokka would be a great friend. I think he would too. Yeah. While Sokka waits for Suki to finish up training the officers for the night, he spots Rue kind of lurking in the shadows behind a wall and yells for her to come and talk to him. Reluctantly, Rue explains that she has been thinking about what Sokka said during their fight in the cave. Although Rue loves her mother and sister and doesn't want to turn against them, she is not okay with what they're doing. So for anyone who forgot, Sokka was like, are you okay with this? He blatantly goes, non-bender to non-bender. Are you okay with this? And Rue's like, yeah, bye, (laughs) bye. (laughs) And now she's like, no, I'm not okay with this. Sokka tells her that he knows a guy who was in a similar situation with his father who wanted to conquer the world. And although it took a while, Zuko eventually stood up to his dad and helped end the war. I didn't like this. I didn't like how this was written. This is me being super nitpicky right now. I didn't like that. He was just like, yeah, I had a friend. And then in the next bubble, he's like, Zuko. names him. I know. I thought that was going to go on for at least another panel. I go back and forth. I land on it. I don't like it because it is like Sokka to name drop like that. Yeah. Just blatantly yeah. name drop. But like, I was hoping he would be a little wiser. Like, he would have that moment of like wiseness and be like, you know, I had a friend and this is what happened and be very vague. But no, he just name drops as soon as he can. I had the same reaction. Yeah. Yeah. So he does go on to tell Rue that 
she now has a chance to do good and he hopes that she won't waste it. Ruth thinks for a moment and reveals finally that Leeling is planning to attack the factory the next morning and urges everyone to leave the city. Sokka and Suki tells her that they will not leave, but now thanks to her warning, they can be prepared. Rue only asks that they not hurt her mother and also asks Suki to teach her how to chi block. You know, I had forgotten for a while what the dynamics were in the first season of Korra. And this is slowly bringing it back. Yeah. Everyone and their grandmother is like, hey, Suki, can you teach me how to chi block? Hey, can you that, that thing that is very dangerous for all of society? Just tell everyone how to do it. Can you teach me how to temporarily take someone's bending away? Yeah. That's not going to make anyone Mm-mm. mad, right? Nah, it's just, nah. It'll be fine. It'll be great. Night turns to day as Aang waits for Li Ling and her followers to show up. He spots a group of benders walking down below and approaches them. They explain that they want to help out the non-benders who lost their homes by bringing them some supplies. It's clear that these benders are not a part of Li Ling's movement. When Li Ling and her followers show up, Aang asks the benders if they will stand and fight to protect the non-benders. Clearly afraid for their own lives, they apologize and tell him that this is asking too much of them. It's like heartbreaking because you can kind of see that they want to help, but they kind of like, they don't want to get hurt. Yeah. They don't want to get caught up in a fight. Yeah. In this like local war. They have families to worry about too and such. And this right here is giving me heavy Nazi Germany vibes now. Yes. I was just thinking like, this is, I think, what a lot of people experience with activism, where people want to help, but they're not willing to go out there and do the utmost. Yeah. When people who are doing the utmost probably want them to, because they need more people in their numbers and their ranks. Yeah. It's just heartbreaking to see. Night turns to day as Aang waits for Leeling and her followers to show up. And he does it in that pose that we're going to see so many times in Korra. with his the avatar called the Aang pose. He's got like his staff in front of him and he's like over the city looking on as a the protector and they <laughs> yeah. build a statue of him, a giant statue that's the size of the Statue of Liberty in Korra. And he's doing the exact that same exact thing. pose. <laughs> yep. Uh, so the group of benders who are not supremacists apologize and they move on. And that's when Li Ling approaches Aang, telling the Avatar that he is still on the wrong side. Aang disagrees, stating that Leeling is hurting innocent people and driving them out of their homes. Leeling offers him a solution to take the non-benders and leave the city to the benders only. Aang refuses without hesitation. Leeling has no choice but to force him out and earth bends the ground up beneath his feet. Aang flies off, leading the supremacists through a maze. I love this maze. Yeah, this was cool. So in the previous page, we see this aerial shot looking straight into the factory. And in front of the factory, in front of the factory's main doors, there's this maze of metal sheets that are maybe, what, 10 feet tall or something? They're really tall, taller than a person. And so that's really cool. They funnel everyone into this maze and we're going to see what they're going to do with it in a second. Mm -hmm. One of the benders warns the others that they're probably in some sort of trap because they are. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, watch out for booby traps. As they struggle to find their way through the maze, the walls suddenly begin to move and we see Toph is like balancing herself on the walls from above and just rearranging the maze as they go. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. I love it. She bends one of the walls away, revealing Suki and the rest of the chi blockers ready for their sneak attack. The chi blockers manage to chi block several of the benders 
which is not bad for a night's worth of training, if you ask me. I agree. Just a couple hours of practice. Very nice. Elsewhere in the maze, Katara encases another group in ice and even more get trapped by Toph as she catches them in between metal walls. Leeling commands Yaling to go after Toph. And Yaling figures out that Toph can't see when her opponent's in the air. So what does she do? She takes the air and knocks down the blind bandit. The two girls earthbend at each other and Toph runs up the side of the wall, luring Yaling to the roof. Yaling sarcastically asks why Toph is not trying to peacefully resolve their fight. And Toph admits that, well, that's more of a Aang kind of thing as she defends against more attacks. Mm-hmm. She's like, I like to fight. Yeah, I love being violent. This is great. What, are you kidding me? <laughs> Inside the factory, a group of benders charge in and are met by Sokka and Satoru. I love this part. This is my favorite part in the whole book right here. <laughs> Sokka warns that he is the best chi blocker ever and rapidly swings his arms around to demonstrate. He does fake kung fu in front yes. of them. As they try to attack him, he hits one on the head with his boomerang, rendering them unconscious and therefore unable to bend. He asks who's next, and unfortunately, they call his bluff, and they charge at him. I love this. This is such an Indiana Jones kind of moment, or Jackie Uh Chan, maybe, where it's just like, it subverts the expectations of what you think is going to happen, because there's such serious and like intense fighting going on, and Sokka's just knocking people in the head with boomerangs and calling it cheap blocking. Yep. Yep. (laughs) So good. So good. Back on the roof, Toph and Yaling continue to fight, eventually crashing through the roof. Yaling falls into the rubble while Toph slides down a metal cable. And she pauses, winks at you, the audience, and says, hmm, a metal cable. This could be useful for later. Pause for a dramatic effect. And everyone realizes she's talking about Legend of Korra. And <laughs> the group of benders charge at her. And she easily traps them in between metal walls. Back outside, Li Ling wonders how Team Avatar knew about their attack. Rue reveals that she told them about her mother's plans. Leeling is shocked at her daughter's betrayal and asks why her daughter would do such a thing. Rue admits that she initially went along with her mother's plans because she believed that her mother was protecting their family. After seeing that the non-benders aren't a threat at all, and they're just not trying to take anything from their family and trying to make their way through the world just as benders are, Rue realizes that everything that they've done and planned is horrible. Leeling defends her actions, again, doubles down, with the old, I did this for you, spiel. <laughs> and of course, Rue does not believe her and retorts with the old, you only did this for yourself response. I do not like this writing one bit. It's just so, it's just a trope. It's low-hanging dialogue. Yeah. Rude. Yeah. yeah. Rue orders her mother to call off the attack on the factory. And when Leeling refuses, Rue attempts to chi block her own mother. When the attempt fails, Leeling threatens to bury her own daughter. She creates a rift in the ground that Rue falls into, and from the air, Aang sees what's going on and quickly flies to her rescue. Toph and Ye Ling continue to fight. When Ye Ling knocks Toph off her feet, she calls the metal-bending master a disappointment for being stupid enough to side with non-benders. This is the best part. I love this part. <laughs> Toph says she's never been stupid enough to think that she is better than him just because she's a non-bender. Just because he's a non-bender. Well, if you're thinking, Greg, that's not a sentence. That doesn't make sense. Who's him? I'll tell you. Him is Sokka with a boomerang who knocks Yaling in the back of the head (laughs) and knocks her out. Because teamwork. Teamwork. I love it. Sokka proudly announces that while benders have incredible abilities, boomerangs are the greatest equalizer. Nice, Sokka. Nice. Mm -hmm. 
Toph thanks Sokka for saving her and gives him a friendly punch on the shoulder. Wow. I want your take on this. You think she's blushing a little bit there or do you think that's some dirt on her face? That's really tough. It's really tough. That's really tough. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Here's your pun for the day. There you go. It's tough because it's black lines, so it looks like dirt. Yeah. But the way that her head is hanging down, Mm -hmm. it could be a blush. So I'll say both. Okay. I can live with that. Both it is. At first I was like, okay, it's dirt. And then I was I was writing and rereading. And I was like, she's blushing, I think. I'm very excited for Cora to see like what happens to Toph and all this. Okay, sorry. Anyways. <laughs> Outside, Aang flies past Katara, who watches the scene of Rue and Liling. Rue begs her mother to stop as she continues to bury her own daughter. Aang rushes in and knocks Liling back with a gust of air bending when he pulls Rue at least somewhat safely out of the earth. He makes sure that she is okay. I need to pause real quick and yes. say this this woman was trying to bury her daughter alive. She's a monster. She's officially a monster. I'm I'm gonna say something maybe a little controversial right now. What's that? I think Ozai's a better father than <laughs> Li Ling is a better mother. <laughs> Ozai only tried to burn his son. He didn't try to kill him. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. He's a, he's not a great brother. <laughs> But he never tried to actively kill one of his own kin until they kind of went up against him. And even then, he didn't do it. You I would may argue. have a point, however controversial that might be. You may have a point. I'm just saying. I'm not saying he's a good guy. <laughs> I'm saying he's a better father. He's a better parent than yeah. Li Ling. That's all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. I think Li Ling's a better person, but a terrible, terrible parent mm-hmm. than Ozai anyways. <laughs> Li Ling walks up to Aang and Rue with a large boulder over her head. She has this like crazed villain at the end of her ropes look on her face too. Oh yeah. That hair still inexplicably in the same place. Still covering half her face. She tells Aang that no matter what he does, her message will spread to the benders of every part of the world and they'll eventually drive the non-benders out of the city. Leeling continues and says that he might have won the battle, but he cannot stop the oncoming war. Aang enters the Avatar state, encasing Leeling in ice and prepares to take her bending away. Katara rushes to him, telling him not to do it, while Rue encourages him to do so. Katara reminds him to think about why he's doing this and to make sure that it's the right solution, not the easy one. Aang exits the Avatar state and tells Leeling that he is going to keep fighting the poison that she has spread throughout the city comparing her to the pollution on the beach from, what was that, book one of Imbalance, I think? Mm -hmm. And that he will not leave until it is cleaned up. He and Katara fly off, leaving Li Ling and Rue alone. Li Ling tells her that she is a wretched, ungrateful child. Mother of the year, folks. (laughs) Maybe, Rue says, but you're a terrible mother. Truth, Rue. Later that afternoon, Lao thanks Suki for catching most of the Bender supremacists and that he does not want to see her go. Aang assures Lao that he not only asked Suki to stay, but also requested that the rest of the Kyoshi warriors come and help the non-Bender police force. Suki promises that they will stay in Cranefish Town for as long as they're needed. She believes that the city has the beginnings of an excellent police force, and Aang wants to find some trustworthy Benders to be part of this force as well. Satoru questions whether or not non-benders and benders can really work together, but Aang and Suki are confident that with time, they will. Suki approaches Rue, who is sitting by herself on a bench, and asks how she's feeling. Rue believes that 
she should be locked up along with her mother and sister. Suki assures the girl that she shouldn't be because she stood up against them when the time was right. Ru regrets not doing it sooner, but Suki tells her that it is all over now and she needs to decide what to do next. As Aang wanders off into the factory, Sokka follows him. Aang tells him about the last time they were in the area and there was a divide between the spirits and the humans and he chose to protect the humans. He is not sure how to fix the divide between benders and non-benders, but Sokka reminds him that he managed to bridge the divide between the two of them, meaning Sokka and Aang, and it gives him a little bit of hope. Three days later, Aang is walking with the rest of the group through the city, and Katara asks him why he changed his mind about taking Leeling's bending. And Aang tells her that it was what she had said about it being the easy solution, and she could not lead a bender supremacist movement if she was not a bender. He believes that her bending was not the problem, it was her bigotry. <laughs> you know what you think? <laughs> Katara says it bothered her that the benders who claimed they weren't with Li Ling did not stand and fight for the non-benders, which true, bothered all of us. But I feel like Katara kind of struggled there. I feel like she's almost villainizing the benders who couldn't help at that last moment when I don't think that's the right course of action or the right mentality to have. Yeah, personally, I think these last two pages are a little awkward. Yeah, they just kind of wrap it up. <laughs> they should have yeah. wrapped it up like at the fight. It was like fast forwarding to wrap up the story. Yeah, it was weird. And goes on to tell her that he feels a connection to Cranefish Town and thinks that it can overcome its problems. And if it can, it will be someplace special. He asks Katara if she is okay with staying there for a while. And Katara agrees, telling him that the city needs him. Aang holds her hand and he tells her that the city needs the both of them, along with a better name, which is probably going to be Capital City or Republic City. City or whatever the <laughs> heck it's called in Korra. Can confirm. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yes, it will. Brainfish uh -huh. Town becomes Republic City in Korra, which is why I think it was a little, uh, a little awkward for it to be like, I feel drawn to stay here yeah. for reasons. I get what they were doing, but still, it's like, Cranefish Town has only been a headache for you. And now you're like, this is great. This is a great place to stay. Let's make our home here. I'm going to spoil this little bit for me. I just want to see something on the wiki very quickly. It can't just be Cranefish Town. It is. I looked it up. <laughs> it, it's not Yudao too? Oh, uh, you know, it is. Uh, they joined oh, okay. with Yudao and the former Fire Nation colonies to create United Republic of Nations. Okay, that makes more sense. Cranefish Town becoming Republic City as its capital. Oh, uh, well, okay. The end. The end. Let's end it as elegantly as the book ended. The end. The end. <laughs> so that was imbalance. It was pretty imbalanced, if you ask me. <laughs> it was a wild ride. Like, think back to the Rift. They come here. It's a small town. We have this adventure with General Old Iron mm -hmm. and Lady... Tianhai. I want to say Tianhai. I think you almost said Piandao. And I'm like, that's the nope. Swordmaster. <laughs> yep. Lady Tianhai. And then we have the shenanigans with the factory and then the Bender v. Non-Bender and all of this upset and fighting and craziness. And now we're like, is it just me? Or is this like one of those tumultuous backgrounds you see from actual history, like the Boston Massacre, the Boston Tea Party, like yeah. being in the history of Boston's formation? It's yeah. like that. All of this craziness happens. And then it's like Republic City where everyone comes together and lives in harmony. Mm -hmm. Except really. they don't. <laughs> <laughs> so... With all that being said, Acorn, as always, I need to know so I can sleep tonight. 
Who is your MVP for at least this book? That is a great question, she says, as she scrolls back through the comic. Mm -hmm. It's tough. I'm going to go with Sokka on this one for me. I was leaning towards Sokka or Suki, Mm -hmm. actually. Yeah. The only reason I hesitate about Suki is because while she has good intentions and just wants to help by teaching everyone how to chi block, I know how that's going to turn out. And Mm -hmm. so I'm uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if that's actually MVP behavior, even though it's... To be fair, it does move the plot along. It does. It does. Yeah. And I love Suki and she's great. Suki, the destroyer of modern society. (laughs) Yep. I do hope Rue joins the Kyoshi Warriors. I forgot to say that. But yeah. when she was just forlorn at the end of the story, like wrapped in a blanket, feeling so like displaced from her mom and sister, I really hope that she goes with Suki and joins the Me Kyoshi too. Warriors. I'm kind of bummed that they never did anything that... Like they alluded that she was special and different, but they never did anything with that. I thought that too. Her mom was like, Rue has other abilities. Rue has other specialness. Now I think we realize that she's just like being a terrible person. Oh, she's special in her own way. That Rue. Doing that the daughter of thing. mine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Probably. But that's I was a little bummed it. too. I was like, ooh, are we going to have some new ability like chi blocking that's like not bending related? But no. 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 Yeah. We just have teenage rebellion is what we got from Rue. Exactly. Well, if you're going with Sokka... I'm going to have to go with Suki. Okay. Just because I was torn between the two and we'll just, we'll just give it to them both. Mm -hmm. What is your moral of the issue? Maybe I'm feeling more pessimistic, but I feel like the moral of the issue is people are always going to have things, ideals, issues, identity, whatever, things that always drive them apart. Like there is always going to be conflict. It's how we respond to the conflict that's going to dictate how things turn out. Mm, I like that. That was my attempt at like an upspin at the end. Yeah. But like this was really driving home how if people have opinions, there will be conflict because that's just how life works. Yeah. Mine is mother doesn't always know best. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who's had a lot of issues with her own home life and parents, yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes parents don't always know best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, that's it for the episode. Thank you again to everyone who's been listening, who made it this far, who have been with us at any part of the journey, whether you're just tuning in for the first time or have been here since episode one or maybe episode 14. I don't know. We appreciate you. We couldn't ask for better audience, better community, all around better people to just experience Avatar The Last Airbender with us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And what a great way to to start this last comic episode with yeah. such great reviews and hearing from everyone about the way that they found the podcast, the way the podcast has enhanced or benefited mm-hmm. them. It's so nice to hear that. And I know that it's been a long time coming, but we finally made it. We're going on to Cora next. Yes. And I cannot wait to go down that path with you all. We have heard so much from the fans and from the listeners about how they can't wait for Cora. For various reasons, either you love Cora or you can't wait to hear how we respond to Cora or fill in the blank. I think we have a lot of different kinds of listeners waiting for us to get to Cora. So we are so excited about that. Even if, like Greg announced at the start of the episode, we are going to jump into Cora after a bit of a break to give us a chance to refresh and recover from two years of podcasting mm-hmm. in our spare time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thank you. To reiterate what Greg was saying, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for going on this journey with us. I know the comics also aren't as flashy as the animated series, but thank you for going on this journey with us and following along because 
we know we got a lot out of these stories. So we hope you did too. Yes, absolutely. And thank you to our patrons too, by the way. I feel like sometimes we forget to say that, but we super appreciate anyone who's financially backed the podcast in any way, shape or form for however long they can, because it really, really honestly does help out with editing costs. Times are tough for everyone. We totally get it, including ourselves. So it just really helps us to continue this passion project of ours. Yeah. Thanks. Because if you didn't know, we don't make any money from this, guy. No. <laughs> this is no. a hobby. This is a hobby. This is 100% <laughs> a, a hobby. podcast run on donations. Yes, absolutely. So if you're thinking, hey, maybe I want to give you a dollar or two. Well, you know, it's a minimum $5. But you say, hey, you want to give $5 for a month or whatever? Hop on over to patreon.com slash avatar the podcast. Again, we're taking a long break. So if now it's not time, we totally get it. But it's there for you. We're not going to like cancel it or delete it or anything. It'll still be there for you because people like listening to the episodes of Secret Podcasts that we have up there. And I want to post some things on there. So we'll keep it up for the time being. Mm-hmm. You can go over to youtube.com slash avatar the podcast as well. We have the old episodes of Avatar on there. We have the old episodes of Angmail on there. We have a visualization for the podcast if you wanted to go see it that was done by Acorn is very beautiful, I think. And you can always, as everyone knows, join me over at twitch.tv slash boostergreg on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You will be joined by the likes of Caleb Miller 146, Dead Sniper 19, Condition Gamer, Lindsay Boo, Singa 13, DJ Hatter, Tina Bina, Avatar the Podcast Mega Fan, and so many more. We actually had like three or four. I forgot to write them down. I'm so, so sorry. Come yell at me again on the next uh, stream that you see. We had so many people joining in from Avatar, the podcast community, and it's just been great to hang out. And you just get to see how my brain works when Acorn's not around to like (laughs) focus it. It's just button pressing, chaos, music playing over music. It's a great time. So sound effects, sound effects. It's just, yeah, it's a fun time. If you enjoy my antics, it's amplified. So yes, come hang out. (laughs) And also I'm on Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, the whole deal. So follow me on there. Yeah. You can find me online at Acorn Bandit or Joyson Studio. I mentioned this last time, but Joyson's is kind of shut down right now for vacation as we go into a different direction. Mm-hmm. But you can still follow me on Twitter at Acorn Bandit and also on Instagram at Joyson Studio. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> Coming up next time. The comics recap. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm just very sad right now and happy and excited. Well, it's all the feelings, really. I'm excited, but I'm also sad, but I'm also anticipating new content, but I'm also like, no, let's mm-hmm. let's not move forward too fast. Yeah. Well, we'll see you next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. 